0: interrupt this program to bring you a special report welcome to south of the eight when i was younger i hated history above all other subjects i couldn't understand why it was so important to memorize national victories and justify numerous tragedies it all seemed so long ago as if almost too far for it to affect my current situation what i failed to understand at the time was that history is not just a collection of dates but a study of human behavior our civilization is a living organism meant to adapt Nostalgia has far too long clouded our judgment. We over-romanticize our past and refuse to evolve so as to not contaminate our memories. And it is those contaminated memories that create the divide we see today. We see it in movies, the news, national symbols, and in politics. Unfortunately, that has allowed our political views to shape our identities. Now, when someone attacks our point of view, we believe they are attacking us directly. Admitting we are wrong would mean we would have to reshape who we are completely. I understand. We all have a set of core values, but we must be open to new ideas. 2020 has been a challenging year, and yes, these are weird times, but they are also an opportunity to grow. George Floyd died on May 25, 2020. We were told that the autopsy of George Floyd, quote, revealed no physical findings that support a diagnosis of traumatic asphyxiation and the potential intoxicants and pre-existing cardiovascular disease likely contributed to his death, end quote. But this is 2020, and there are always too many cameras. It wasn't the police report that told us the truth, or our local news at first. As a nation, we had to witness a man die under the knee of a police officer while three others watched for ourselves eight minutes and 46 seconds over a suspected $20 counterfeit. His death was by no means the first due to police brutality, but it led to numerous protests demanding justice and significant reform. Now, George Floyd's name is added to the vast list of hashtags, along with Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and many more. This is not a new fight. Systemic racism is a fundamental issue that has found a way to mutate from slavery to Jim Crow to mass incarceration and everything in between. And although there has been noticeable progress, it is now up to us to continue the fight. I believe that we must all identify our prejudice and privileges in order to move forward. We have all encountered racism in our communities and our families. Justifying it is no longer an option. In this series of episodes, I will be discussing various topics affected by our current situation with community leaders and peers. We are not looking to push any agenda. All we want is to start a conversation that will help us formulate a well-rounded perspective. I hope you join us, stay informed, and keep making your voice heard. But first, I want to thank my executive producer, Jessica Bernal, for helping me put these episodes together. I couldn't have done it without her support and the help of my correspondents. Hello, everyone. Today I have with me Giovanna Olivares, our public health correspondent.
1: Yes. Hi. Um, so I was the first guest on this podcast, I believe. And yeah. <laughs> now I'm back, but now I'm officially a UCUC UC alumni with my public health degree.
0: <laughs> Congratulations, by the way. And, uh, Thank you. Yeah. So you were the first one on the first season and now you're the first one season two. So I guess it's just the thing at this point. <laughs>
1: Gotta keep the tradition going now.
0: Yeah, I guess so. Uh, So in the following series of episodes, uh, we will be discussing the different aspects of systemic and systematic racism in our communities. Uh, Do you want to explain to me a little bit of what the difference between systemic and systematic is?
1: Yes, so I believe that systemic racism is more like institutional racism, um, which is discrimination maybe in our criminal justice system and the way people individuals are employed in housing healthcare, political matters education etc cetera, etc cetera.
0: right and systematic is usually a little more planned right a little more explicit say not giving someone an interview because of their color of skin right something a little more obvious
1: maybe it's not as planned i suppose maybe mm-hmm. in your mind you're not thinking that these oh, things I see. are what you're doing is wrong, um, like overly discriminatory, right? Um, but it just so happens that you start by being discriminatory, even though you don't think you are, and it just continues and it goes on and it goes on. I
0: guess that's a perfect segue as to the problems that we see in public health today, right? But before we get that ball rolling, um, just for our community PSA, can we have a brief Uh, just refresher on where we are as far as COVID. I just want a quick little refresher just so we can start. I mean, I wouldn't say on a good note, (laughs) but on that idea. And then we'll go from there. We'll start talking a little heavier topics, I guess.
1: So as far as COVID, I know we were on lockdown for quite a while. Um, And obviously, as you all know, some gyms are open now. Restaurants, bars, parks, beaches. And... Personally, I thought that was a mistake Um, and I was watching the news yesterday and it just so happens that there's eight new clusters of COVID cases and then two of them were traced back to restaurants. So I just want to let you know that I know we're all fed up and I know we're all tired of being inside, but there is still a very eminent threat out there, which is coronavirus. Um, And Again, I think by now we've all seen examples of people that are our age that get sick relatively healthy individuals and it ends up going really south yeah. and they end up getting really sick so i just want to let you know that please keep social distancing keep wearing your face covering keep washing your hands sanitizing them just avoid as much contact with other people that's not necessary as possible
0: all right so you guys heard uh try to keep your you know, try to keep your guard up. This isn't over. A lot of people are worried about the second wave, even though we haven't even left the first one. So. Yeah, that's
1: what I, <laughs> I tweeted the other day. Like, I yeah. hear, my, even my family is like, oh, I heard there's a second wave coming, blah, blah, blah. And, like, you do know that we never really fully flattened the curve. Like,
0: yeah. no, <laughs> so yeah, we're it's, so in that wave. I was looking at the curve yesterday, and it just keeps going up. I believe compared to Italy and Spain, uh, they've actually decreased the curve, or change the curve mm-hmm. and we we are just plateauing at this point. You know, yeah, no, we're doing it's not really increasing. Bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just I believe, I believe a symptom symptom of a bigger issue. Uh, but we'll get into that. I believe that before uh before the lockdown, we were seeing a lot of cases of people of color specifically, those in the black black communities with the highest percentages of affected by COVID, correct? Or even during this whole pandemic. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. So I've seen um, that African-Americans, for example, they are really being affected by this coronavirus crisis and also Hispanics. And from my own understanding, it could be that it's because African-Americans suffer from a lot of chronic diseases and Hispanics suffer from diabetes type 2. So these two ethnic groups, racial groups, whatever you want to call them, are, they are really prevalent cases of chronic diseases. And it doesn't help that we live in environments that are considered, for the most part, um, like low social income, and our education is seen as not the greatest because of the neighborhoods we live in. So all these things just add up, and they lead to worse health outcomes and it also just has to do with access to care. Um some neighborhoods don't really have good healthcare systems. Um not great hospitals and that's something I want to talk about and not just regarding the the resources of the hospital but also the biases of medical professionals and the way they treat certain individuals.
0: Right, and that could be also a symptom of redlining, right? Dividing neighborhoods based on color skin, ethnicities, uh, to be able to allocate resources to the wider neighborhoods, mm-hmm. to the more appropriate neighborhoods. I hate to say, but we see it in our own communities. We see a lot of it. Well, at least with the Hispanic community in Chula Vista, people. Chula Vista is huge, and there is two Chula Vistas, right? Yes, yeah,
1: very different Chula Vistas.
0: Very, very different Chula Vistas, and and I know people say it as a joke. You know, whether it's west of the eight, or sorry, west of, west of the 805 or east but it is a very obvious issue and i'm sure that's one leading to a lot of problems right
1: yeah because i know that a few weeks ago i was reading that our hospitals here in chila vista they were overflowed with coronavirus cases and we were doing pretty pretty bad compared to the rest of the county and you're like why why is this happening and i do think also it has to do with the proximity to the border and we have that constant flow of people coming and going across the border. But again, it has to do with the access to health and your environment, your built environment where you live.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. So can you tell me a little bit, I guess we should get to the nitty gritty of public health issues. So how is racism a public health issue?
1: Um, There's been studies that show how racism contributes to health inequity. And it just doesn't affect poor individuals, but it, it also affects. Affluent individuals, but these individuals are affected because of their skin color, not because of their socioeconomic status. Um, and for example, Black women are four times as likely to die from pregnancy related complications compared to white females. And this is even when you account for education. A white woman who has only gone to high school compared to a Black woman who has got her bachelor's, her master's, or PhD, she still has a greater chance of surviving um, childhood, I mean, sorry, pregnancy-related complications compared to a Black woman. And I think that's outrageous. You don't just see it in maternal mortality, but you see it in Black men, which I hope we're all fully aware, but they're twice as likely to be killed by police officers. And the life expectancy for African Americans is four years lower than the rest of the U.S. population, which... Like
0: yeah. that shouldn't be that well, way. Very much. I believe the black, uh, the African-American community is composed of 13% of the population in the United States, but it, it covers over 46% of stops by officers, you know, and that obviously isn't a proper ratio as far as who sh- should be stopped, you know, and I'll, I'll, again, it, and some people say, well, it's just numbers or maybe, hey, you know, well, if they're not doing anything wrong, then it shouldn't be an issue. But this is beyond that, right? We are obviously seeing, we're seeing data, we're seeing um, studies done where it's a fact that uh, African-Americans are being not just prosecuted, but also uh, targeted in a different way than, say, their white counterparts. I, I know that uh, Hispanics are thrown in there as well, as well as other minorities, but it seems very a very African-American prominent issue, correct?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems more prominent within the African-American community. And like I said, it's it's very evident um, in the medical profession. And right now we have a really diverse or more diverse than before medical fields, but unfortunately we are still seeing these implicit biases in medical students. So it's just like a cycle. It keeps going. And
0: So I know that, um, at first, you, it's easy, I guess it would be easy to say, well, it's all the white doctors, right? But is there some kind of, maybe, is there some kind of racism within the lesson plan? Maybe the doctors are learning, hey, overlook these patients and not these patients, or look for these, but not for that. Or maybe not even in the school itself, but say resident programs and things like that.
1: I don't think that they're being taught those things. At least I would like to think so. <laughs> um, But I think that because they're implicit biases, these are biases that we're not aware that we have. And I took a US healthcare systems class. Um, It was so interesting. And I learned how, I saw a study where they surveyed medical students and some examples of questions asked were like, do do African-Americans feel pain? And some of them were like, no, they don't feel pain. and just stuff like that. Like obviously they're humans. Right. Obviously they feel pain. And I think that now schools have gotten better at trying to teach these implicit biases. And I think California actually was one of the leading um states that they implemented some like implicit bias course and they gave it to um to healthcare workers and this is was just to make them aware like hey you have these biases and we're going to work on it because everyone deserves the same quality of care the same access the same medicine and like women too we're not treated the same for say I go in and I think I'm having a heart attack they are not going to screen me the same they're not going to test me the same as if my male counterpart goes and they're like, I think I'm having a heart attack. They're going to get them in right away. They're going right. to put all the machines on them and stuff. do right. all the a I
0: feel like one thing people are not aware of is that medicine is, is tricky in the sense that it's, you're practicing medicine. So everybody has different symptoms. Everybody has very different pains here and there. Sometimes they just don't feel good. So when you, as a healthcare provider, a lot of times you get, you ask the questions you're supposed to, but you're not exactly getting the, the the answers. So a lot of it has to do with detective work and trying to find what is wrong with someone. And I believe that's that may be where the problem lays, because that's where biases come in. Because you say, well, should I believe a patient that maybe just be looking for medication? Uh, should I believe a patient of a 10 out of 10 pain when they're looking at me? We're looking at me with the most normal face, right? When you think 10 out of 10 pain, you think burning alive. But people are like, yeah, my foot hurts 10 out of 10 while they're just mm-hmm. eating their lunch, you know. So it's a lot of these things. And I believe it has a lot to do with burning out where people start tagging as you get tired you try to rely less and less on your mind to be able to stay sane. So people start putting people into these little, I, I don't want to say stereotypes, cookie but cutters. yeah, to these cookie cutter things. And I used to see it all the time in healthcare, especially, I would say, with people that are completely burned out. Because they're like, oh, that kind of person. And it wasn't overtly racist, which sometimes it was, unfortunately. EMS is like 80% white. It is, it is horrible. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so it wasn't always overtly racist. But like, oh, they're homeless. They don't, they're fine. They just want medication. Or oh, they're just looking for lunch. And it's like, well, are they? Like, like let's try to find out what's really going on. And it sometimes it takes that extra step to be like, no, they're actually in pain or they actually need the help. Or it's as simply as it doesn't cost me anything to do an extra test. Let me just get it done, right? And I believe that's – I'm glad to hear that at least California is doing something to try to reform this very obvious issue because it'd be hard to – again, it's hard to debate facts, but people still think, well, I'm not racist. That's not my problem. It it goes beyond that. Am I right? Yeah, and
1: it's not just California. Like The Mayo Clinic, which is – a really well-renowned state-of-the-art hospital and medical school, Um, they've put it in their curriculum that medical students going in, they have to take, um, I think they are tests that they take and it tells them like how biased they are and they have to talk about it with their peers and like kind of come up with a plan of how they're going to change that. So I think that implementing this, not only in the healthcare system, but maybe the judicial system, maybe in police departments, even in education, I think that these things would help. And little by little, it'll start creating that change that we're fighting for right now. And I think it would greatly help decrease inequities and disparities within various communities.
0: Yeah, I believe a lot of the problems we see, whether it be in healthcare or the police system, um, I hate to justify cops, but sometimes um, they may be the problem, but they're not the only problem. Sometimes it may lead back to where the how bad the system really is. A broken system can't be fixed one person at a time, right? We have to look at the root of the problem, try to find out what's really going on, and try to stop it. I mean, it's insane to me to think – I mean, in this – I don't want to get too far away on this. But it's insane to me to think that only three months is enough to – Police someone and give them a gun and a badge, but it takes so long to say to be a doctor say to be a nurse, a bachelor's in nursing takes four years, and you 're still operating under someone 's supervision, you mm-hmm. know, and to give someone a badge and a gun in about between three to six months, it seems a little rushed and and very poorly planned, especially when a lot of times the issues that p- cops are showing to showing up to aren't um, aren't in their scope of practice or in their scope of jobs right a lot of it might be public health issues say uh uh, psychiatric problems or cps may need to be involved things like that
1: yeah that's what i was going to say sometimes police officers show up and you're they're dealing with an individual that maybe is not in a good mental health state and maybe even that police officer himself that day is not in a good mental health state and one of our social determinants of health is your psychosocial well-being. And we'll say you have a constituent and they're not mentally stable. And then you have a police officer who may not be mentally stable that day. And then you have accidents. and. To, I yeah. mean, they're not accidents, but yeah.
0: No, yeah. It's just uh, it's a time bomb waiting to happen. And unfortunately, I know for a fact that places like Chula Vista and National City, have things called PERT, which is a psychiatric emergency response team. I believe it's a psychiatric professional partnered with a cop. And usually they're doing rounds and they're the people that will put people on 5150 holds uh, for suicidal ideations, gravely disabled, or maybe intention of hurting others. But the things that those resources are very, very limited. So you're having two a day, right? In a place like, say, National City where Paradise Valley is the hotspot for psychiatric issues. People come from Coronado, yeah. Harbor Island, and La Jolla to drop them off at Paradise Valley. Meaning that Paradise once they're released, they're in Paradise Valley area, which is National City, or Bayview area, which is Chula Vista. So we're seeing a lot of these issues and we're just the ratio seems completely overrun. And I believe that may be with uh uh, the priorities of funding, that I believe that's something we're seeing a lot. It keeps coming up when discussing possible reform for the police. When a lot of people say defunding the police, they don't necessarily mean getting rid of the police and starting a purge in our community. We're talking about, instead of having a $115 budget, some of those resources could go to be- things that better suit certain calls. The 911 already does this. They do that with ambulances, fire, and PD. Uh, What would be a benefit of defunding the police for public health?
1: Um, I wouldn't say that I'm pro-defunding. I'm just, I don't want to take a political stance. No, yeah, (laughs) yes. Yeah, Um, but I do believe that we need better budgeting tools because we do need to evenly distribute and allocate money equally. So, yes, of course, it's not fair to have this huge budget for police departments, but then you're leaving, for example, kids in elementary public schools they're not getting that funding and we've all seen it. We've all seen, I mean, I have younger cousins and when this COVID thing happened, like they didn't have laptops to attend their school, um, like their daily um, sessions or even to do their homework. So if we allocated more funds to schools then maybe that wouldn't be an issue, maybe the kids would have already had laptops. Going into this crisis, um, into this pandemic, but yeah, public health is very underfunded, um, and it's taken quite a bit of budget cuts over the years. And that's important because preventative health is important. Um, We don't want to treat people when they're like at their end stage of life because one, that's going to be really costly, and two, I mean, they're not really going to have the, I don't know how to say it, but I mean, if we treated individuals from the get-go, if we put more money into public health, we would be putting money into education, into letting people know why vaccines work, for example, into maybe going into classrooms and teaching teaching kids how to like properly pick out their lunches for the day, because those things would lead to better health outcomes, maybe In communities like Chula Vista, lower rates of obesity, lower rates of diabetes in children.
0: And then in the long
1: run, these kids would grow up, ideally, to be healthy and not be dealing with having diabetes and having to buy insulin and stuff like that, you know? So, yes, I do believe that we need a budget better and we need to pour funds into education, into public health, into hospitals, like all these things. It needs to be even or else you're just going to keep having gaps in every aspect of society.
0: Correct. So again, sorry for trying to make it political there, but I believe um, I I completely understand and see where you're coming from. I believe that right now we're operating in a very much a bandaid system where we see something and we put a bandaid on it, hope that it doesn't rupture and then we hope that nothing else happens. And then we see something else and we put another bandaid instead of again, going back to the system and try and see where the issue lays. I believe that, uh, I believe that funding things like public health, uh, and I'm not going to get into the whole universal health thing, but just in uh, pub, uh, funding public health in communities could lead to uh, lower visits to the ER or people having less uh, c- cardiac issues, chronic diseases. chronic diseases, things that could lead into severity and then, Later down the road, are going to be taking things from the fund, such as medical, because treating a patient with a pacemaker and then having the surgery of a pacemaker and then taking them to a nursing facility and all of that is taking away more uh, money than it would have been to just have that patient see a doctor once a year, make sure that they weren't uh, going too far with certain fats and maybe taking care of the heart, walking a little longer. You know, it's the preventative measure that preventative measures that you mentioned that I believe. Some people aren't able to see because it doesn't affect them directly. Again, public health is also very much controlled by insurances, right? And unfortunately, not everybody able to afford them. Even if it's the $40, $50 copay that it takes to go to a physical, because it's not enforced or because maybe you don't think you need it, a lot of people don't do it. And that may be an issue. But why is it important for even someone our age that feels healthy to go to the doctor, something as simple as going to the—I know there's a lot of memes where it's like, "Well, my mom hasn't made an appointment, so why should I go?" <laughs> well, why is it important for me to go to the doctor and get checked out, or especially in our age range, why should we be getting tested for, say, STDs every six months or after every partner?
1: Yeah, so I believe that we should be going to the doctor because, again, you don't want to go to the doctor, especially men. Um, There's been studies, and it shows that men are less likely to go to their physical exams. And I, as a woman, personally, my experience, I don't have a problem going to a doctor for every little thing. Like, I have pain on my chest. Um, I'll go to the doctor. And thankfully, I have insurance through school, so I do have to acknowledge that privilege. Right. Um, but but I, there was a period in my life where I did not have insurance because I was making too much money. Mind you, I was a server. No, I was not making too much money. My bills were more than a thousand, more than a thousand a month. And I'm like, I cannot right. pay for insurance. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But it's important for us to go to the doctor because you want to get checks, everything. You want to check your blood. You want to check your heart. You want to... Yes, you should get STD checks after every partner because you just simply don't know what that other person has. And unfortunately, not everyone's going to be honest with you. Not everyone's going to, even if you use a condom, it's still safe. You don't lose anything by going. And there's also misconceptions for men that they're not affected by HTD. Yes, they are. It's not just a woman's disease. Men are equally affected by it. It just so happens that for women, for example, if you don't get your HPV vaccine, you're more prone to get cervical cancer. And you're more prone to certain STDs as well. Like you're affected differently. But yeah, I believe that taking care of your health and just getting those yearly exams, checking your weight. I know that BMI is not very indicative of your health. And I know that that's been very controversial lately um i don't know if you've heard but some people are upset about the whole bmi
0: thing well it was so so enforced in high school you know we can't we we can't being told it's all about your bmi you know but much like uh like back when i was in school when i was in ems or emt school our teacher told us half of what we teach you is going to change in the next five years we just don't know what it is you know so it is up to you to continue education that's the thing the normal person doesn't continue medical education because they don't have to so they rely on what they learned say in Mm -hmm. high school and and that leads to controversies like keto diets and paleo diets (laughs) and all that i mean i don't want to get into all of that but what i found interesting you mentioned men are more are less likely to get themselves checked what do you think is the stigma because I'm sure that it, it it must be in our communities, right? Like lower-income communities. Why is it that you think there's such a stigma to get checked for anything or to go to the doctor for us?
1: For men, I feel like it's because typically men in our culture, in Hispanic culture, you're the head of the household. You have to be in tip-top shape to provide for your family, to help out with the bills, to help feed the kids, etc. I think that's one of the issues, at least within the Hispanic community. I just feel like men always have to be strong. And, you know, you you can't be sick. You can't afford to get sick. Right. Um, You get sick, the whole household goes down type of thing, you know?
0: Yeah. No, I understand. So it's more the fear. Again, it's putting those Band-Aids, hoping that everything's okay. But, again, I believe, uh, what was it, Men's Week just happened it's okay to be in pain. It's okay to get checked. It's okay to seek help. And I believe that until we get over that stigma, you know, cause I know that men in specific are tend to be more prone to depression and not talk about it again, due to the stigma and even more in African-American cultures and Hispanic cultures and things like that. So yeah, it was good to reach out.
1: Yeah. I think it's just a generational thing. I, I feel like parents now, Younger parents, millennial parents are a little more understanding about mental health. But, for example, I was raised by my grandma, so it may be more difficult for her sometimes. Just giving an example, not saying this is true, yeah. but if I have depression, maybe she won't understand, or she'll be like, ay, estás bien, nada se va a pasar. Like, yeah. Nomás estás estresada. Yeah. Or, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, no, you know, depression is a very real thing, and it affects both men and women equally. And- It needs to be talked about, and we need to break those barriers because older generations don't understand, but it's up to us, I feel, if we have the tools to educate them. You know, like, I try to educate my mom as much as I can on everything I learned about public health and all the inequities, and so sometimes she doesn't believe me that, like, Mexicans suffer more from diabetes than other um, ethnic groups. And he's like, I know so I'm like, yes, it is. Like, I have the data. It's science.
0: Yeah. Well, you can even trace it back down to the fact that uh, Mexico is so far up in child obesity, you know, and type yes. 2 diabetes. Th- those numbers themselves should tell you something. I mean, it's all the papitas. It's all the gancitos, It's <laughs> all the, I mean, our culture is amazing. Our food's amazing. But unfortunately, eh, there's a lot of miseducation as to what should, we should be eating you know, because I remember growing up and even, even seeing out with my kid, my kid is lengthy, he's a little long. So pe- people would always tell me like, oh, you got to feed him more. It's like, no, that kid goes to the doctor and trust me, that kid is healthy. If he told mm-hmm. me he's full, then he's full. And that's, yeah. fat, you know, but people keep telling, no, you got to feed him more and more because that's how, you, you gotta be gordito. Fat. yeah, you got to be fat to be healthy. And it's like, Ah, I (laughs) know. And again, I feel like it's uh, unfortunately kind of fighting an uphill battle because it's this, it's this challenge between respect that you have for your parents, but also trying to educate them because that can sometimes be very hard. Uh, A lot of times, Mexican families are so persistent on us getting an education, but then they won't listen when we try to educate them unfortunately Um am not saying that it's a complaint I'm just saying and I understand that some things are subjective and uh, you know and it takes certain perspectives to understand things but anyway that said uh, so what can we do at home as far as public health and trying to diffuse the racism that may be in our surroundings or things like that well I'll say
1: check your bias <laughs> check your bias and if you go to the doctor and you experience like some discrimination to a certain extent, speak out. Ask for a different doctor. Don't be afraid. Um, you should be getting top-notch quality of care if you're paying for it, and you should not be scared to ask for a different doctor. And you should always think maybe they are biased because you don't know, and maybe they don't know that they're biased, but. I just want to let you know that it's okay to check their bias and it's okay to speak up. I mean, if you're not an advocate for yourself, then who's going to be, you know?
0: Right. I feel like, uh, again, those uh, health clinics, they're intimidating even to call in and make an appointment. So it's going to be up to us to check people. Right. And not just that, but a lot of times uh, uh, some of us have darker skin and we're going to have a little bit more of an uphill battle than other people. But that said, it doesn't mean that uh, people that that aren't of color can't be helpful, right? It's about noticing your privilege and using it effectively. Am I right? Yeah,
1: I mean, yeah, to help fight these injustices that we're seeing, I mean, like I said, check your bias. We all need to recognize that racism exists, and it exists in various ways, and it's embedded in different parts of our society of our systems and how they work but if you can I've, I've seen a lot of people on social media advocating and that's great like yes raise awareness educate others as much as you can Try yeah like acknowledge maybe that you have privilege because of the color of your skin and be willing to listen to other people of color I mean if you're a person of color then engage with other people of color share your stories and just Learn about other cultures, it's important, you know, like I'm trilingual and that's opened a lot of different cultures for me. I mean I speak Spanish, you know that goes across yeah South America and America, mexico. Yeah. Um, I speak English, I don't have to say yeah. <laughs> where that extends to, and then I speak French, so I don't only know like the French culture, but I also have seen the African culture of francophone which is english i mean sorry french-speaking countries so yeah. it's important to recognize other cultures and know about them
0: right uh i feel like a lot of people are scared of the word racist and and it should be scary right no one wants to be a racist but that said it's okay to acknowledge when sometimes maybe in the past we've had a prejudice prejudices or biases ourselves and it's okay to learn it's okay to to improve uh something we see a lot is that people are so embedded in their political opinion that they take it personal they take it as a personal attack as opposed to taking a second and trying to learn of what's going on i'm i'm very guilty of it i'm sure you are as well but that's just part of growing it and it's it's going to take all of us to take a step back try to understand the bigger picture and listen to understand and not listen to respond pretty much. That said, I feel like 2020 has been a crazy year. I mean, that's to say the least. Yeah. And right now, I don't know how it works for you, but sometimes I just, I can't stand, I can't look away from Twitter and it's not so much right now, but when everything was happening with George Floyd and the protest and all these um, all the propaganda we were seeing and but also all the injustices we're seeing with the peaceful protest sometimes it's a lot of information to take in and we want to help we want to stay informed or sometimes we're just chismosos and we just want to know what's going on what are the benefits you would say of stepping back and maybe taking a second because i know that i myself feel guilty looking away because i want to stay engaged i want to know what's going on but sometimes it's too much you know it keeps us up at night or sometimes i just i just don't feel good and it's Nothing personal, it's just, it's too much information.
1: Yeah, actually, I wanted to post a video earlier on Instagram because um, I went to a conference early this year for medical, it was a medical conference for diverse students. And I spoke, you were in a classroom setting with this woman and she works at UCSC and she helped create the student the free student ran clinic at UCSD, and she was saying, like, it's okay to pick just one thing, you know, like, one thing that you will fight for. It's okay to focus on that one thing, and for me, I, I've struggled with this before, because as a public health major, I've seen so many things that I'm interested in, for example, like policy. I think that policy would be a great way to help change a lot of things, and then I'm very interested in environmental health because the environment, obviously, like we live in it, it affects us, it affects our health just as much as other things do, and just a bunch of other things that I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to change this. Like, this is my fight. This is I need to do this for my people. But it becomes overwhelming, and it like sometimes it's just too much, and your brain can't like fully function and your emotions get all out of whack and it's okay to take a step back it's okay because you need to take care of your mental health too you need to take care of your emotional health and just if you want to focus on one thing for example if you want to focus on a black lives matter movement that's fine put all your effort into that if you want and it's okay to not focus for now on the Yemen crisis or on the Chinese Muslim no. crisis Jesus
0: yeah, it's okay with India.
1: <laughs> I know it's I know it's a lot so just if you want pick one thing do not feel guilty please because you are doing something it's better than just doing nothing and even if you do nothing and you're just sitting taking all the information that's okay too because maybe sometimes it's better to not speak than to speak and say the wrong thing and just trigger others or say the wrong thing and maybe even get into a fight with a family member.
0: Yeah. That's, um, that's one of the topics I believe that have been thrown around, especially in Twitter. Sometimes, you know, the fight starts at home and, yeah. and it's either a good fight or a bad fight and it's really up to us whether we want to do it or not. Mm-hmm. I am, I implore for everyone to start the conversation somewhere, but it's I understand important that it comes with a big responsibility because I know that if I start that conversation at my house, I'll get a little bit of pushback, but at the end, I'll be okay. You know, I'm not going to thrash any family ties or anything like that, but that's my privilege Mm -hmm. having the family that I have. Some people don't have that luxury. So it's okay to start small. I, again, I, I completely agree with you. It's great to focus on one thing. And I guess where I'm hitching my horse is to just having people have a voice. I want people to stay informed as much as possible because there's nothing worse than having someone argue. And you mentioned it. Sometimes people say something they don't know because they saw it on Twitter, they saw it on Instagram. Learn, you know, do the research. And again, even if we don't have the same point of view, don't just tell me I'm wrong. Tell me why I'm wrong. And and try to explain it to me. And I'll try to my best to try to understand because I'm not gonna understand, I'm not going to listen to someone that's just yelling at me or telling me that I'm wrong, right? And again, no one's ever going to be in the same uh, the same wave or anything like that. But I believe a lot of things can improve if we stop the infighting. I see it a lot on Twitter where... yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, where someone will say something. And you see it with celebrities all the time. Every time they try to help with some kind of video, it backfires. And it's like, that one I understand because it seems so... I mean, they're the damned that they do it, but they're also damned if they don't. And they you don't. Know? But that's why you shouldn't look up to those people. <laughs> look for better resources. Look for, uh, look for, start reading some books. I know that uh, Black-owned or Black story books uh, have had an all-time high, which I think is amazing. Uh, given our current situation, again, George Floyd's death didn't uncover anything new. It just, it kind of brought it back to life. I, I saw this quote that was pretty cool. Everybody was asking for 2020 vision and I feel like we finally have it. You know, we're seeing how bad our public health system is. We're seeing how, how little power we have against uh, an administration like the one we have now. And we see how, how many things can change in say police reform or education or things like that. So again, I hope people are doing their most to stay informed but I understand that it can be much and it's okay to focus on your mental health and take a step back. So what are you focused on right now? I'm sure you're all over the place with uh, Corona given that it's just not going anywhere.
1: Yeah. Right now I obviously i have been following the black lives matter movement. Um, and yes, I'm still very invested in COVID-19 because to me as a public health major, it's just really frustrating how people just, stop caring and they decided, oh, the virus is not going to affect me in any way, shape or form. But it might not affect you personally, but it might affect your family. It might affect your grandma. It might affect your grandpa. You don't know. And Personally, I don't want to take a risk. Right. But yes, those are two things I've been really focusing on. I'm also still very invested in environmental health and environmental justice. Yeah. But that's just because. One, I took that class. I fell in love with it. I watched Dark Waters. If you guys have a chance to watch Dark Waters, please watch it. It's a really good movie based on a true story about DuPont and PFOAs. And it just opened my eyes to so many things. So I became deeply invested and that's something that I'm still fighting for and that's something I still try to advocate for. And I even decided to help teach that class this past quarter, my last quarter at UCSD. Yeah. So those are things that I focused on. But, you know, yours might look different. Yours might be black matter. Like I said, the Yemen crisis. So. Free Palestine. I don't know.
0: Unfortunately, <laughs> there's so much to choose from. And, again, I'm hoping that there we have, if even for just clout, I hope that we... Our generation is a little less apathetic than last generations, you know. I know that the the voting um, the voting turnout is usually something laughable, given how much democracy is fought in other countries. And this isn't me just trying to preach, like you know, it's a civil. I mean, I know it's a right, but it's a duty, you know. It's up to us, and not just in for precedencies or. For major things, but in our own communities, I believe. In
1: your community, yeah. That's where matter, we have the 100%. most.
0: That's where we have the most power because those things affect us directly, right? Yes. Like you want your council members to agree with you as much as possible. Otherwise, before you know it, you know we're selling property for a random casino instead of you know reinventing uh, the marina or something like that. So
1: yeah, or building more green space for people to feel safe and go on walks and just be physically active like yeah voting is important at every level but yeah i would say most importantly at your local level i mean yeah these are the people you interact with the most and this is where you live
0: (laughs) yeah especially concerning how much people complain about potholes and things like that and it's like you kind of have the power to fix that you know yeah it's a nuisance i get it but and it really isn't. I just, I, I, try to, I try to understand it, but I just can't. Like, th- there is a way. And I understand that sometimes it may feel rigged and sometimes it just feels like we're not getting anything out of it. But unless we push for the change, nothing's ever gonna happen. And, I
1: mean, and you don't lose anything. You just fill out a circle, do a little bit of research and turn in your ballot. That's it. Yeah, and
0: you move with your day.
1: But yeah, and just keep an eye out for more public health institutions and states declaring racism a public health um, concern or public health emergency Mm -hmm. because little by little more states and cities have been realizing that racism is the public health emergency and that we need to address it and yeah i think that is one of one of the things to keep an eye out for
0: yeah i mean unfortunately uh that's i believe one of the places where it would affect us the, the most you know especially you mentioned the the amount of people that die based off of a bias that we don't even know we have it's almost like you're fighting an invisible person you know like mm-hmm. what really are we fighting for but i believe it begins by knowing that no one's perfect and looking in inwards and trying to see where we are doing wrong and trying to change that again we see it a lot in like Hispanic communities where they're like, oh, I'm not, I can't be racist. I'm a person of color, you know? But come on. I mean, we've all seen the racism, unfortunately. And it goes a long way when you just take a second to realize that you could be doing something better.
1: Well, yeah, I just wanted to say that microaggressions also affect people's health. So, for example, say you're African American and you're constantly being discriminated against or you go to the store and they stare you down. They think you're going to see all those, those are microaggressions. And eventually over time they add up and they affect your health, whether we want it or not. Okay. How is so it that they affect
0: our health? Is it like the paranoia or is it the stress?
1: I don't know if it's stress, but it could be, I don't know. I've, there's just been studies conducted and they show that people who experience microaggressions, mm-hmm. they have better, sorry, they have worse health outcomes.
0: Jeez, so that means that we're uh, we're weaponizing Karens now? Is that what it is?
1: <laughs> I mean...
0: <laughs> All right. Well, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Let's, no. <laughs> let's go Sorry.
1: microaggressions.
0: And- okay. All right. Well, again, Giovanna, thank you so much for doing this. This is going to be an ongoing series. Uh, we have yet to find it a name, but it's going to be focusing on... Uh, Local racism Racism in our communities And our families And how to to fight it You know, how to fight back Uh, This one obviously was focused on public health Pretty soon we're going to be having A couple episodes on civil liberties Or rights And so on and so forth So that said Is there anything else you'd like to say?
1: I just want to say take care And physically And mental health wise take care of yourself. I know this is all so overwhelming, but we're going to get through it. I know this is a year full of so many unpredicted things, but we're getting through and just build connections, build relationships with people who agree with you. So
0: yeah, no, definitely yeah, just
1: build a community in which you feel safe in.
0: Yeah. That, that I feel like that goes a long way. You know, it's, it's good to have a, A group of people you feel comfortable with but then also it's make sure we don't stay in a bubble you know
1: yeah yeah no don't um, stay in a bubble listen to (laughs) others opinions
0: yeah they go a long way because sometimes it's just understanding where they come from you know no one wants i feel like i like i'd like to believe that the majority doesn't want to hurt each other it's just that we have different points of view so that said make sure everybody wears the mask (laughs) and stay safe out there. Again,
1: thank you Keep for doing. Keep washing your this. hands. Yeah.